Good morning, everybody. I hope you are doing well this Sunday morning. Uh, my name is Kyle, and we are still continuing on in our provider series. We've got a few weeks left. Um, last week, Grant taught on how God provides our joy, and so you can catch that on our website. Um, this week, we're actually going to look at how God provides for us in our lack, specifically our lack of experience. And we're going to take a look at King Josiah in the Old Testament as our example of, of someone who really lacked experience and still how um, we saw how like God used him. And so we're going to pray and then we're going to take a look at our uh, scripture for today. God, um, Lord, we just thank you for your word and just for how you use it in our lives, Lord, and um, how you can teach us through it, Lord. And we just pray that you'd speak today. God, um, we, we pray that you'd help us to uh, learn from all of this and, and to learn uh, how you provide for us in a new way. And uh, God, we thank you for being good to us, for being a good father to us, and for saving us uh, by your son. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So we are going to be in Second Kings today um, in chapter 22. And so um, we're going to kind of bounce back and forth, you know, talk about the what we'll read some scripture and then we'll talk about it and stuff like that so that we can kind of get a picture of what's going on in this story about King Josiah. And so it says this in 2 Kings 22 verses 1 through 2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, or Jedidah, the daughter of Adadiah. She was from Boscath. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the right or the left. All right, and so this is the primary reason that we're taking a look at this scripture today and at this story today and at this character. It's Josiah. He was made king of Judah at age eight. And so, you know, try to imagine yourself as an eight-year-old kid uh, being given the responsibility to run a country. Uh, and moreover, Josiah was made king after some exceptionally bad kings. A, a lot of kings that had led Judah astray, had uh, invited all kinds of sin into the country, into God's people's lives, uh, invited all kinds of idolatry and, and worship of false gods into their lives. And so um, some pretty bad kings right before him. And, uh, you know, here we, we see Josiah being made king just after them. And then we see this short summary at the end of that, that he did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. And so this is a kind of really brief one sentence summary of like what his kingship was like in comparison to these other kings before him. So Josiah, as he grows older, really starts to try and turn Judah around and honor the Lord again. And after some time, Josiah, he rebuilt the temple of God. And as a result, these uh, the, the high priest ends up finding the book of the law, God's word. And so they read it to, jo to Josiah. And this is his response in 2 Kings 22, verses 11 through 13. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and the king's servant, Asiah, go and acquire, inquire of the Lord for me, the people, and all Judah about the instruction 
in this book that has been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us, because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. So Josiah hears the law, he hears God's word, and he realizes just how far Judah has fallen, just how much Judah has disobeyed God, how much Judah has uh, sinned against God. And uh, really, he, he hears this and he's really repentant, it sounds like. He tears his clothes in grief. And uh, really, it sounds like he really wants to turn away from the recent history and restore this country to follow God again. And so, uh, in Second Kings 23, uh, verse 3, it says this, Next, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his statutes with all his mind and with all his heart, and to carry out the words of the covenant that were written in this book. All the people agreed to the covenant. So after this, Josiah, uh, he, he just continues to do all kinds of things to restore and reform Judah as much as he can, to restore it back to its former ways, to the ways of the Lord. You know, he makes sure to burn down everything in the temple related to worshiping false gods uh, that, that the previous kings had set up. He tore down all kinds of worship altars that these uh, people would use to worship false gods that had been set up over the years in order to restore Judah's focus on the one true God again. And in addition to that, he reinstated Passover, which was this festival to remember like how God had brought this country out of Egypt, out of slavery. And so uh, in this last passage that we're going to read, we read... Um, it says this in 2 Kings 23, verses 24 and 25. In addition, Josiah removed the mediums, the spirits, the spiritist household idols, images, and all the detestable things that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem. He did this in order to carry out the words of the law that were written in the book that Hokiah the priest found in the Lord's temple. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his mind and with all his heart and with all his strength according to the law all the law of Moses, and no one like him arose after him. So Josiah did a whole ton to, to really turn Judah back to the Lord. That They had fallen so far from their roots and, and, and from God over and over, and had, you know, even despite that, God had demonstrated his mercy for them and his love and his grace and kindness uh, to them. Over and over again, Israel and Judah had kind of turned their backs on God, and Josiah ends up working hard to turn them back to him. So with all this said, like, what can we learn here? Like, what's going on here? We see Josiah, he's made king at such a young age, at age eight. And, uh, you know, really he has this calling on his life to, to turn um, this country around in order to make it more in line with God's word and in line with God's law again. Uh, and still we see there that he really lacked experience because he was so young and he lacked uh, really a lot of experience. Um, maybe ability to lead a country in that way. And so how can we, can we learn from this? What do we see as to how God provides for Josiah in his lack of ability? Um, the first thing is this, God provided his word. God provided his word. So Josiah was, was convicted by God's word first and foremost, right? It's, it's, he starts to restore the temple and stuff like that. And, and in there, they, uh, the, the priests find the law and they read the law to him and he 
is, is cut to the heart. He's convicted about this. He wants to change both himself and the country around him. He repented. He was grieved. And what he was doing is he was responding to God's word. He was convicted, and this conviction led to strong action. He needed God's word in order to do what God had called him to do. Josiah hearing the word is kind of what set into motion all of his reforms and a lot of the major actions of his kingship. After hearing the word, he responded in change. And over and over throughout Josiah's story, if you kind of look through this, you'll see um, verses like the one I'm about to read that just talk about how uh, it was all motivated by God's word. It was all motivated by what the law had said. And so uh, in 2 Kings 23, verse 21, it says, The king commanded all the people, keep the Passover of the Lord your God as written in the book of the covenant. And so we see in examples like this and in the one that we read earlier, uh, that, that Josiah was really motivated by what he read and he wanted to follow and obey God's word. So how can we follow Josiah's example? Um, my first thought in that is this, that our relationship with Jesus is what fills us and equips us for the works that he's called us to. And, and I think the primary way that we cultivate that is through his word. I see all kinds of students um, in our church that uh, really, I think, maybe are convicted and compelled to do things that God may be calling them to do, and yet they're also really intimidated by that. They might be intimidated by what God is calling them to do, or scared or afraid um, either this semester, this year, or even with their whole lives. And a lot of the times, those people that are intimidated are the very same people uh, that are maybe distracted or, or not really prioritizing God uh, you know, with their time and with their efforts. And, and I question if this should surprise us. Like, God often calls us to do things that we can't do on our own. And, and then we try to do them on our own or, or try to do them without a consistent daily connection with the Lord. And it's terrifying or it's overwhelming, right? Like we feel unequipped. We feel incapable. I know for me, sometimes when I feel that way, it can feel really paralyzing. Like I end up doing nothing at all because I'm so overwhelmed by maybe what God is calling me to do. And, and I kind of had thought of this example whenever I was, I was thinking about this because um, I feel like this is a trap that so many of us fall into. So imagine for a second, um, if, I, if I tasked you with digging a hole. So think about a, a large hole, like a five by five hole. Maybe you've seen the movie Holes before with Shia LaBeouf. Uh, think something like that, that, that you are, are tasked to dig this five foot by five foot hole in the ground. And you're pretty unsure about this. Maybe you're a little freaked out. Uh, you feel like you're not sure if you're going to be able to do it. And, you know, I'm even maybe a, a little confused by your response to that. It's like, no, 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 you're fine. You can do this. Um, you know, I trust that you're going to get it done. And so I kind of walk away and go on to do some other things, trusting fully that you're going to get this task done for me of, of digging this five foot by five foot hole. And I come back an hour later expecting to see some progress and you're out there digging with your bare hands, okay? And, and you've made like no progress at all, right? Like you're supposed to have made some progress on this uh, hole that I've asked you to dig. Uh, I'd expect maybe you have at least like a couple feet dug by now and yet you're in mere inches. And for me, I, I get there and I'm just a little confused. I'm confused as to why you're not using the shovel that I gave you. 
But for you, all you see is, is the lack of progress. You are tired, you haven't made much progress at all, your fingers hurt, you're discouraged, and, and you want to quit, honestly. And for me, it's just, I can't move past the fact that if, if only you had used the shovel that I gave you, not only would you be able to get the job done, but you'd have done it a lot better, you're not faster, uh, you wouldn't be so discouraged about your lack of ability and uh, your, your, whether or not you're even able to, to finish this task. And hopefully you see the metaphor there, you know, and it's not a perfect metaphor, no more metaphor is perfect, but I hope you understand you know, that, that just like in this example for each of us, like he has, like God has plans to, to use us, to grow his kingdom, right? He's calling us to do all kinds of things for him, but he's designed us to do it in step with him and in step with his spirit. He's designed us to, to do this work with him and not apart from him. And when we try to do God's work with our bare hands, we end up discouraged we end up frustrated instead of encouraged by what we're seeing God do through us and in our lives. And so my prayer is just that we would, we would be people that, that really draw near to God and seek Him, knowing that, that God often calls us to things that we are not capable of doing on our own. And for most of us, that results in reading God's Word. Right? Like truly stewing on that, considering that, thinking on God's word, and, and really letting that affect us. Just like Josiah. Right? It involves considering God's word and considering how we should respond to it. Josiah let the word of God affect him, and it gave him strength to do what God called him to do, even in his lack of experience, even in his youth. And the same can be for us. Jesus says, uh, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. And uh, I think that this is of primary importance when it comes to cultivating a deep relationship with God. And apart from that deep relationship, I think we're going to feel very unequipped and incapable of doing the work that God has called us to do. And so that, that leads me to the next point, and that's this. God uses us even where we lack. God uses us even where we lack. And, and I think that God typically calls us to do work that we can't do on our own. Like, you know, Josiah, again, he was eight years old when he began leading Judah as king. You know, but we see this all over scripture as well. It's not just King Josiah. Like we see Jesus send out the 72 disciples with nothing, right? They, had, they have no food, no money, no shoes even. And he just sends them out really relying on nothing but God to provide for them. You know, we see Paul and how he talks about how God's power is made perfect in his weakness, right? And that God uses him all the more despite his weakness. We see Jesus and how he talks about how the Spirit will give us words to speak when we're given opportunities to witness for him, when we're given opportunities to make God's name known. And so over and over and over again, we see that God uses us even in our weakness, even where we lack and the thing about this is that if we're going to follow God uh, in, in the places that we lack, I think that we need a deep like faith and a deep trust in God. And, and what I'm saying here is if, if we're trusting in ourselves and in our own power, I don't think that we're ever going to step out in faith to do the work that God has laid before us. 
Like if, if we want to see God move and use us in our lack of experience and in our lack of ability, like we've got to trust him. We've got to uh, put our faith in him. And so for me, this is a, a small example, but um, I became a Christian when I was about 20 years old. Okay, I was, I was studying at UC here. Um, and like between my sophomore and junior year in college, uh, I started to follow Jesus. And so I came back to UC my junior year. And really because of everything that God had been doing inside of me, I really wanted to just like run hard after Jesus, run hard after his kingdom, really do whatever I could to make his name known. I didn't really even know how to do that or what that even meant. I just knew that I wanted to do that. And so I got plugged into H2O, which at the time was just starting here at UC. And, uh, you know, I started to come around the church and hang around the people in this church. And at one point, I really wanted to gather a small group of people from our church and just study the Bible together. Because at the time, there was our church service and there was this larger group meeting uh, called Fusion that we don't do anymore. Um, but I, I just really wanted to gather a small group of people, um, you know, some friends of mine from our church and study the Bible together. Um, and so I, I told the pastor at the time that I really wanted to start this Bible study. And he asked me if I would make it the first H2O life group. Uh, and that was really intimidating to me because, you know, kind of what I wanted was like, I just want to, you know, get some people together and we'll read together and we'll talk about it and it'll be fine. But now all of a sudden I'm kind of put in a spot where I have to lead this small group Bible study for our church in some kind of official capacity. And it really freaked me out because, you know, for me, I'd only been following Jesus for a few months, right? And I didn't grow up in church and I didn't know the Bible well, Okay. I wasn't super familiar with it. I just wanted to learn and I wanted to grow. And despite all of that, like despite all of those fears, I told him, okay, sure, I'll, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, even in that, I just felt so unequipped, right? And like inexperienced. I had a lot of like worry and fear about like, is somebody going to come here and like ask me all kinds of Bible questions that I don't know the answer to? You know, like, again, I don't know the Bible well. I don't know any of these Bible stories that, that most people that grew up in church would know. Um, I, I don't know theology really apart from, you know, Jesus saves me and, you know, I'm a sinner in need of his salvation. That was pretty much all I knew. Right. And so, uh, for me, I, I took a step of faith there and, you know, 10 or so guys gathered in my apartment every week to study the Bible together. And, um, you know, it's a small thing, but I really believe that God used that life group to grow our church a ton. Uh, you know, most of these men went on to lead their own life group the next year. And I feel like that was like foundational for our church in terms of uh, small group Bible study discussion. And so why am I sharing this story? Because, you know, not a big deal at all. Like if I didn't start a life group, somebody else is going to do that. Right. And so it's, it's, it's not like, a huge thing and you know in the bible we see all kinds of examples of faith that are are much uh greater and you know th that this type of example of just smart starting a bible study really pales in comparison to the type of faith that we see in the bible but the point in, in sharing all of that is that god calls us to works uh both large works and small works that we can't do on our own and i think in those places we really have to trust him and i think part of trusting god is is taking steps of faith because like faith it's not just this mental exercise and trust right but but it's action it's taking steps it's doing real things that require god to move right stepping out in faith is itself kind of trusting god 
And I think that it's in these kinds of steps of faith that we see God provide even when we're weak and even when we're inexperienced and even when we need help. And so the challenge here is for you to consider this. What is it that God is really calling you to? And to ask him what that is and to pray and to spend time in his word and really expect him to lead you in that way. And then to respond to it, to take a step of faith and see him use you even in your weakness, even in your lacking. I think God is always leading us into places like that, leading us into places where we have to trust him. And so what is God calling you to? And what are some areas that God may be calling you to take steps of faith? Where do you need to trust God to do something despite your weakness? Uh, some, some examples that came to mind for me are just, um, like one example is, is boldness in your friendships. Um, like you probably have friends that don't have the same relationship with God that you may have. And if what we believe about Jesus is true, there is nobody else that we can be saved by. It's only Jesus. And so maybe your step of faith is to, to uh, breach the subject, right? To, to, to start talking about Jesus, to ask them what they believe about God or, or, or share with them what you believe about God or, uh, you know, begin to have that conversation so that you could share the treasure that is Jesus with them. And to pray that God would open those kinds of doors. Like, we know that God can use you even in your weakness there. Maybe another step of faith for you would be to remove things from your life that really hinder you in your walk with Jesus. And that can be all kinds of things. That can be something uh, like sin, you know, that's really explicitly something that hinders you from God. Uh, You know, I think as we continue on in sin, it's only kind of rubbing away at our relationship with Jesus. But it may be something else that's not sin at all. I think that a lot of times there are distractions in our lives that can keep us from a deeper walk with Jesus. And so to consider like what it would be like to take a step of faith there and sacrifice something like that. Maybe it's something else that you could sacrifice your time this semester. Like maybe that's a step of faith is to give more of your time, to to make time to prioritize and pursue Jesus to make time to study his word, to learn more about who he is, to make time to pray, to make time to talk with your friends, even believers about Jesus more so that you can continue to stir up your affection for him. Maybe it's making time to go and serve or making time to serve not just the campus, but you know the city around us, people in need. Maybe it's making time to, to, to minister to your friends, you know, to sit down and have coffee with your friend that is in need. Maybe you could sacrifice your summer. Um, Many of you don't have free summers from, or or many free summers at all from here on out. And maybe a good way to utilize that would be to uh, sacrifice your summer for the Lord, to to, uh, really dedicate your summer to Him and to go somewhere and serve and minister to others. Maybe it's something like LT, a leadership training, a program that we do every summer where we send students out to Colorado to learn and grow what it looks like to be a deep disciple of Jesus. Maybe it's something like going overseas to do ministry for a summer or a time over the summer. Maybe a way that you could take a step 
uh, in your um, faith is really a step that all of us have to take at some point. And that's really trusting Jesus. Like, I think some of you maybe have never trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And, you know, you, just like the rest of us, you've done wrong in the sight of God, and that has to be paid for. Like, God is a just judge, and He's going to uh, make us pay the penalty for our sins. But Jesus died for us so that He would pay the penalty for our sins. And all we need to do to receive that gift is place our faith in Him. And so maybe that, for you, is your faith step. You know, I did that 10 years ago. I'm still uh, in need today. I'm still trusting Jesus today. I still need to be reminded daily that despite my weakness and despite my shortcomings, God loves me and has redeemed me because of Jesus. And so I I don't know where you're at with with all of this. Um, I don't know whether you feel weak or whether you feel um, like you lack in experience or ability, but uh, I hope that you see through all of this, through uh, Josiah and through some of the things that we talked about, that God uh, can and does use you, can and does provide for us in our lack. And so let's pray. God, um, Lord, I just thank you for, again, for your word and just that we get to learn from it, God. And I just pray that you would help us to identify areas where we can grow. Help us to identify areas where we can take steps of faith. God, I pray that you'd help us to really uh, pursue you hard, God, that we would really uh, pursue you in terms of doing the things that you call us to do. God, knowing that we can't do any of that well apart from you. God, that we wouldn't rely on, you know, the strength of our own hands, but that we would rely on you and your spirit. God, you're good to us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for saving us, for being gracious to us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.